it is said that when an Indian gives a speech, he usually begins with an apology. And when an American gives a speech, he begins with a joke. I apologize, I don't have any jokes this evening. <laughs> Thank you all for coming, especially if this question struck a chord in your lives. Either you struggle with this question or somebody known to you is grappling with this question. Thank you for coming and I really hope that you find this time profitable. After the tea break, we do gather again here for a time of questions and answers and I hope that this will be a good evening for all of us. The popular musical, Fiddler on the Roof, there goes this conversation. Here is a man listening to a news item and he says, why should I break my head about the outside world? Let the outside world break its own head. Tevye, the lead character in this play, says, well put, he's right. As the good book says, if you spit in the air, it lands in your face. Another man angrily retorts, nonsense. You can't close your eyes to what's happening in the world. Tevye nods in agreement. And he says, yes, he is right. A third man counters Tevye and says, he is right and he is right. They both can't be right. Without missing a beat, Tevye responds, you know, you are also right. Are all religions really the same? In other words, this is called as religious pluralism, meaning every religion, every worldview is equal and valid. Now that seems to be a politically correct position to espouse in our times. Maybe in the West, with people increasingly realizing the other religions of the world, in the last few centuries, there is a growing awareness and respect for the other religions in the world. And maybe that causes this religious pluralism. Respect and recognition have gone too far, if I may say so. And ironically, in many places, Eastern religions are welcomed and received very well, while a Christian voice is shut out. So the pluralists are not really pluralists. In India, within the Hindu framework, there is scope for religious pluralism. In the pantheistic understanding, the ultimate reality is the absolute impersonal. And then, devotees can reach the mountain top, so to speak, each following his or her own path. There is this concept called Ishtadevta, meaning you can choose your deity. Interestingly, within this understanding, even Christianity is comfortably accommodated. But the end result, they say, is union with the impersonal divine. But is religious pluralism tenable? Leslie Newbegin. British theologian, missionary to India, he was also the bishop of the Church of South India, has this to say. He illustrates that if two scientists working on the same experiment, using the same method, same equipment, 
come away with contradictory results. They don't go and hug each other and say, what a joy it is to live in a pluralist society. Rather, they hurry back to their laboratories, pursue their own experiments, until one of them or both of them are proved wrong. And Leslie Newbegin asks, if in one field of study, we believe that truth is exclusive, and then opposites cannot be true, why in another field, let's say theology, somehow the assumption is, always are okay? That's an important question to consider. I recall having a conversation with a gentleman in Chennai, the city that I come from. He made this statement that all religions are equal and valid. We got into a conversation, there were a, a few of us, and then I tried to show him how that's not logically possible to subscribe to. So I drew up the argument for him on the ground actually. I said, according to your view, Christianity is valid. He says, yes. I said, so is Hinduism. He answered in the affirmative. Islam, yes. Valid. Hinduism, yes. So all religions are equal and valid. And I told him, based on what you have just told me, if Christianity is valid, and I look into the pages of the Bible, it tells me there is no other name under heaven by which men or women shall be saved. I said, that ought to be true. He says, yes. And I reminded him that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. I said, that ought to be right as well. He had to agree. But then if these two claims are true, automatically they rule out the claims made by other religions. So it is really not possible to say all religions are the same, especially when they are making contradictory claims. In fact, I further pointed out to him that his view that all religions are the same was very exclusivistic as well. You know what he was really saying? My view that all religions are equal and valid is the only view. He is as exclusivistic as anybody else. So there is no true pluralist, so to speak. Moving on from the logical difficulty, looking into the particulars of different world, world views and religious claims. One major religion says, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Another major religion says, Jesus only appeared to die on the cross. He did not die on the cross. One religion says, human beings are all sinners. We have a problem within. Another major religion says, we are all part of the divine. As we can see, totally opposite claims being made here. Now, the, all of them may be wrong, but all of them cannot be right because they're saying the opposite things. So when we look into the particular claims made by different religions, we see the differences emerging. In India, one of the lines often you hear is, all religions are like rivers that flow into the same ocean. Now I tell people, if one religion is a river, another religion is a rooster. 
very different one from the other. Even the destiny. If you consider the paradise that Islam talks about, it's very, very different from the biblical picture of a new heaven and a new earth. The Buddhist view on afterlife is poles apart from the Hindu view on what happens eventually. So there are many differences. And we can't just say they're all saying the same thing. But somehow it seems very rude for us to say this religion is true and that religion is false. So people take the easy way out of trying to say all of us are right. But does it really work that way? Someone said, true respect for an other religion is regarding the otherness of the other. It's not going roughshod over the differences, but respecting the otherness of the other. That's true tolerance. That's true respect. And when you look at, let's say, the concept of love, the biblical doctrine of God who is loving, religions think differently about this. I recall having a discussion with a Muslim friend, and when I made this statement, God is love, he got visibly unsettled. He's like, tell me more, what, what are you talking about? How can God be love? Now, within the Islamic revelation, among the 99 names given to Allah, one name is Allah is loving. But that's certainly not the popular doctrine within Islamic understanding of God. They talk about Allah being merciful. And then they talk about Allah being just. Or in fact, the most popular doctrine is Insha Allah, the will of Allah. But the love of Allah is hardly emphasized. And there are reasons for this. While we say God is love. The New Age Guru, in today, I mean, one of the things that we export from India is our spirituality. Our gurus have gone global. Now, most New Age Gurus would actually say, love is God. But they would not concede God is love. There is a difference. In their view, the ultimate is impersonal. So you see, you pick up any doctrine, try and dig a little deeper, there are differences. So we need meaningful dialogues, rather than just saying, we are all saying the same thing. That does not seem right here. Talk about salvation. See, the problem is, every major religion uses the same words. We all talk about God, we all talk about sin or sins. We all talk about salvation. We all talk about life after death or destiny. So that's where the confusion comes. For example, in Hindu understanding, in classical Hindu understanding, salvation is actually from life. You have to break free from the cycle of births and rebirths. So the fact that you and I are born means I'm still under the curse. So I need salvation. But in the Bible, salvation is not from life. Salvation is from sin. Because the Bible underlines sin 
as the problem. No other major religion in the world or any religion in the world has the concept of original sin. The Bible says the problem with humanity is there's something wrong within. There is a rebellion against God. We miss the mark. There is an unrighteousness. Yes, we talk about evil outside, but what about the evil within? Somebody said that's one doctrine of the Bible for which there's ample evidence. It's hard to disprove that there is a problem within. So that's the biblical doctrine. And then Jesus comes across as a savior who saves people from their sins. Speaking at a university gathering in India, and then I was talking to one of the students who was in the audience. He came to me later and said, Why are you Christians narrow minded? Why? It, that seems to hurt a lot of people. I countered him by asking him, Is it wrong to be narrow minded? He did not respond because he had no clue where I was headed. So then I said, have you ever thought about this, that 2 plus 2 is always 4? And nobody blames the maths teacher for being so narrow-minded. <laughs> I gave him another example. Think about a marriage situation. Would you say the husband is so narrow-minded and that's bad, that is committed only to his own wife? Oh, it better be that way. Truth, by definition, tends to be exclusive. It tends to leave out error. And that is important for us to consider. Let me also make an important point here. Every major religion in the world has a point of departure. If you thought Christianity is the only exclusivistic religion, that's not true. Every major religion in the world have those non-negotiables. Some things are a given, you don't debate them. Which means everybody is being exclusivistic. And the Bible comes across singularly talking about sin as a problem within. And then we have the Savior Jesus who saves us from, the, from our sins. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode. But you stumbled to a throne. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, except you alone. In history, we do not have any other God who was willing to suffer and die for his people. The songs we sang this evening talked about that. Talked about the rescue that he brings into our lives. The savior that Jesus is. So there is this uniqueness. There is this unique offer the Bible makes. That's why Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians. He says, we preach Christ crucified. You would think that's an irony. Why preach Christ crucified? And then he goes on to say, that's the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew. Foolishness to the Greeks. Why a stumbling block to the Jew? 
in the Jewish mindset, they were really looking forward to a, a king like David or Solomon to come and relieve them from the Roman oppression. But then Jesus came riding on the young of a donkey and then he died on a cross. The Jew who knew scripture perfectly understood curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So the cross became a stumbling block to the Jew. And to the Greeks, if someone would have gone from this world into the other world, they would have thought this was magnificent. But then to talk about a God who stepped in from that world into this world was sheer absurdity. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. But we preach Christ crucified. And as you think about the cross, the cross is a picture of evil and wickedness. The lengths to which human beings can go. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus. Nobody found fault with him. Not even his opponents. He asked his opponents at one point, which one of you can convict me of sin? We, don't, we may not dare make such a statement in public. Not in the presence of our opponents. But then there was a silence. A golden silence. Pilate, who passed the judgment, said, I find no fault in this man. The centurion who carried out the crucifixion said, Behold, the Son of God. Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed him, said, I have shed innocent blood. And Jesus died on the cross. So the cross is a picture of evil, travesty of justice. The cross is a picture of God's love. The fact that God would go to any extent to redeem fallen humanity to himself. But the cross is also a picture of God's holiness and justice. The fact that God would not condone sin. He calls sin, sin. And then he deals with it head on. So the cross is a picture of God's holiness and God's love and the reality of evil outside and even within us. While we proclaim that Jesus is the only way to save us from sins and to go and to be with the Father, as much as the Christian message is exclusivistic, please remember the Christian message is actually open to one and all. It's open to the righteous man, righteous woman. It's open to the unrighteous person as well. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, no free, no male, no female. It's really open. It's available to all. God's offer is available to all. Somebody said, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. So if you are worried about pluralism, remember, the gospel is available to anybody. The gospel is not exclusive in the sense that it shuts its door to somebody. No. God desires that all of us be saved. The question then is not, are all religions really the same? The question is, what have you done to the biblical diagnosis? 
about the sin within and the offer of God's forgiveness and a new life in Jesus Christ. You are invited to make an informed decision. The ball is in your court. And this is the offer the God of the Bible makes. God bless you.